It's something we're taught from an early age. Get a job, play by the rules, and with any luck, you'll find some success. But those rules, according to Netflix co-founder and co-CEO Reed Hastings, were made to be broken. Over the last two decades, Hastings has flipped the script on big business, taking a DVD rental service and turning it into one of the most powerful studios in Hollywood, and he did it by rewriting the handbook on traditional corporate culture. Now, as Netflix continues to wreak havoc on the movie business, I'm joined by Hastings to discuss the future of entertainment, his unconventional style, and secret to Netflix's unstoppable growth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Reed Hastings, co-founder and co-CEO of Netflix and co-author of a new book, No Rules, Rules. Reed, great to see you. Thank you, Andy. What a treat. So I want to talk about the new book, and congratulations on that, by the way. Uh, but first, a few questions about Netflix, and maybe we'll go back and forth. Uh, people are always so curious about your company. Uh, that you run with Ted Sarandis now. Um, so first six months of the year, you guys gained, I think, what, 26 million subscribers, almost as much as the previous year combined, the whole previous year. And I'm wondering if you guys are able to sort of parse through and figure out how much of that was the normal trajectory of the business and how much of that had to do with COVID. You know, we grew from about 170 million to 195 million uh, over that time period. Uh, which we're <clears throat> extremely pleased with. And it's really testament to the great service. People, it's uh, talking about the service, watching uh, Tiger King, watching Tiger Tail. Um, you know, we've got just such an incredible variety of programming. Um, and you might have seen we just signed an overall deal with uh, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle. And I'm super excited about that. And just tons of new content coming to keep people really joyful, especially in these difficult times. All right, I was going to get to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but you brought it up right away. So did you do the direct negotiations with that or at least talk to them during this? Nope, I didn't talk to him at all. It's all my co-CEO, Ted Sarandos. Um, he's worked with them a lot uh, over several years. Um, and uh, we're excited for uh, what that means for Netflix and uh, another great set of producers to be, you know, provide content that people really want to watch. Obviously, the streaming business has gotten incredibly competitive uh, over the past year or so. What, um, what do you think your biggest competitors are there in this space? Well, Disney Plus has had amazing success, um, you know, for uh, this year. Uh, they've grown to over 60 million members. Uh, it took us 12 years to get there, and they've done it in less than 12 months. Um, so <clears throat> they're on a tear. Um, and then, of course, uh, Hulu and Amazon and YouTube and TikTok. And, I mean, there's so much competition for entertainment and escape. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal read reported that you guys were interested in TikTok, but then decided that you were going to back off. Is is that the case? And do you have any regrets, say, if Microsoft ends up getting the company? You know, we really haven't followed it that closely, um, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. Right. Okay. I, I'm 
really curious about your book and your decision to write it because you know the culture deck as is so famous in the world of silicon valley and management that came out a while ago and so i'm wondering why you decided to write the book with aaron meyer right now and what sort of prompted your thinking there well i've read a lot of ceo pontification books over the last 10 20 30 years and i always wonder you know what's it really like in the middle of the company so we went out and recruited Erin Meyer to be my co-author. Uh, she had previously written The Culture Map, which is a great book. Um, so, and we gave her free reign. She interviewed over 100 people throughout Netflix. And the book is sort of me doing the theory, pretty typical, interesting, but typical. And then her doing the reality, how people interpret it, what the issues are. And those tensions, um, you know, are what make the book uh, very readable and interesting because you get to see, um, again, what we're trying to do and we're not yet completely there. And you and Aaron have a shared experience and you both were in the Peace Corps together, right? Great coincidence. Um, she was in the Peace Corps about a decade after me, um, but, uh, um, but not, then not material to the book. And fundamentally, the book, <clears throat> if you think of the last 300 years, um, we've had factories providing enormous economic value. And so a lot of our society has the factory as the model of the organization. So very top-down, very processed, very efficient. And that works in the military, in the church, in the, uh, again, in factories. But it's not the right way to run a creative organization, an organization that needs new ideas, needs to be able to make mistakes. And what our book, No Rules Rules, sets out is a set of principles, again, if you're part of the creative economy, to how to encourage new ideas to be formed. And we really manage right on the edge of chaos. It's not the most efficient place. But that's part of why we've been able to adapt from DVD by mail to domestic streaming to global streaming to original content less than 20 years is because we're so focused on supporting creativity. And it can be a brutal place. Some people have described it that way. You have your nine principles. We can talk about that. But and the no rules, I mean, one of them is there's no rules about vacation and that you would tolerate someone who does great work but doesn't really come to work very often. They have to be an A-plus player. Is that really the case, Reid? You know, Netflix employees <clears throat> love working there. And so on the customer sa or employee satisfaction surveys, uh, we always rank in the top five or 10, you know, in the United States, really incredible. And it's so fun because people feel the trust, uh, the openness of the culture, information sharing, and because they've got incredible colleagues. And so they get to do a lot. Um, and that's what makes it so joyful. So do you still really have no vacation policy, A, and B, does that mean people take less or more vacation than, say, a pure company? Well, our vacation policy is take some, and uh, we definitely don't count it and measure it. And think about it this way. We don't know how many hours in a day somebody works. Are they working eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 16? We don't know. And so why are we trying to measure and count? Do you work 48 weeks, 50 weeks, 46 weeks? You know, it's in the noise. And what we want to do is inspire people. We want them to feel excited 
but we also want them to feel joyful and refreshed. And each person's a little different. And I try to set a great example by taking a lot of vacation and I'm always talking about it. And, you know, some of the time you come up with your greatest ideas when you're on vacation. Or even going for a walk, that's for sure. And so, so have you in fact measured it versus your cohort? No, we really don't know how much. I know how much I'm taking, but I, I have no idea for uh, our employees how much they're taking. What we know is they're coming up with great ideas and helping our business evolve. I love the anecdote that you told in the book about your first company, Pure Software, and noticing that um, a salesperson was staying at a $700 a night hotel, and then you wrote the rules, no expensive hotels, and that you learned from that, right? Sure. In my first company, every time something went wrong, <clears throat> we built a process so that we wouldn't do that thing again wrong. And it all sounds good. And in the short term, it's quite helpful. But what I didn't understand is it really saps creativity and the kind of people who love it are the kind of people who are very good at following the rules. But then the business shifts. In that case, it was C++ to Java, but every business shifts. And there's very few people who are driving fundamental innovation. Most people are just following the rules. And we ended up having to sell the company to our largest competitor. Right. I want to talk about what makes your service and your product and your company great. And I'm a fan. I like millions of Americans. I, I enjoy using it. The UX, for instance, the user interface is so much better than a lot of your competitors. How do you come up with that and how do you make it better than the others? You know, that's really another testament to the culture. We've got lots of idea generators. We attract lots of creative people. Um, and they work so hard on it to try to figure out how to make it great. We've got, you know, titles from all over the world. And so it's quite a challenge how to present all of that in a way that's uh, very easy to use. And I'm so glad that they're continuing to work on it and make it better and better every year. And the content part, of course, you guys have been great at first aggregating content and now, of course, um, creating your own. The creative process and the tech process don't often marry well. I mean, we've seen these when worlds collide, Silicon Valley and Hollywood not getting along or understanding each other. How are you able to marry those two disciplines, if you will, read into one business? Well, if you look at video game companies like Electronic Arts, they have also done it. If you look at Pixar, um, which is, has been in Silicon Valley, they have done it. Um, so there are some great examples. And what we do is we unify everyone around serving our customers and everyone gets to serve our customers. We need great technology and we need great titles, movies and series. And that combination is what allows us to be a great entertainment company. And, and how do you keep your employees motivated or at least dispel naysayers? Because all along the way, oh, you know, Netflix can't do this. Netflix is dead now. You know, they have this hiccup and you've overcome some major business hurdles along the way. How do you keep people motivated? Well, you know, we went public about 20 years ago at about a dollar a share. And now we're about $500 a share. So it's not that hard to keep people motivated when, you know, things are going so well. Um, and sure, there's lots of stories of, you know, the Netflix phenomena is over 
Um, and, you know, really entertainment's a very large market. Uh, there's, you know, billions of people around the world who watch television and love stories. And we're less than 200 million uh, households. So we got a long way to go if we can just focus on making our service better and better. So obviously streaming has just decimated, uh, excuse me, well, streaming plus COVID, I should say. What I meant to say was COVID has decimated the movie business, the theatrical business right now. What do you think the future holds for movie theaters, Reed? Once we get a vaccine, I think everyone's going back to bars and restaurants and sports stadiums and movie theaters. Um, so that's all going to come back. And we probably built up a, a big demand. We can't wait once uh, again, once we all get vaccinated. Right. We talked about TikTok a, a little bit before, but I want to get back to that because, you know, this idea of short form video and Quibi tried this as well as trying to do this. Is that something that you've considered and how would that fit into what you guys do? You know, we're really focused on premium content. It could be almost any length, but it's scripted, it's organized, it's got a through line, you know, think of it as something, you know, you enjoy uh, to really get absorbed in. Um, and so we're much more about relaxing in the living room. And when you look at a YouTube or TikTok, uh, you know, you've got some time to kill, then those can be very thrilling. So when we, and also I want to ask a little bit more about Apple and Amazon and, and how hard is it to get into the original content business? I mean, those guys have such deep pockets that they can just throw money at the opportunity. You know, they're doing a lot of things that are interesting, but we're focused on being a great entertainment company. We have the advantage of a single focus. This is all what we are about. And we work really hard to continue to be the best in the world at it. You know, this year we had the most Emmy nominations that any company has ever got in all time. So, you know, we're doing some things right just through the focus. And we're never going to be all of entertainment. Other people are going to do other shows. But, um, you know, we've got a, a strong focus on movies and series. When you green light projects or when you and Ted do or Ted does or your, your process does, do you think about prestige? Do you think about um, the metrics, the algorithm? What, how, do you, how do you pick what to green light? We really think about member satisfaction and how many people are going to watch it compared to how much it costs to produce. And so you members are wonderful. You give us 15 bucks a month and then it's up to us to take that and spend it well on your behalf to produce content that you really want to watch. And so that's the focus is how do we please our members? Do you ever think you do too much? I mean, I'm sure Reed, you've seen those, you know, skits, I think there was one, uh, I forget which animated television, uh, animated you know, series did one, like, hello, you've been greenlit Netflix and all that kind of stuff. But how do you decide what's too much? You know, the beauty of Netflix is we can do more representation and a broader selection of titles than anyone else. So we have Spanish titles. We have French titles. Um, you know, we have uh, black titles. We have, you know, every cultural demographic, every race, every uh, ethnicity, every religion. So, you know, it's super broad and we don't have near enough. Uh, we would like to have, 
you know, the best content possible uh, in Turkey, in Poland, uh, in Argentina, and to really bring the world together by the sharing of all of that content. Having said that, I mean, you guys are big and getting bigger, but if you compare your business, Reed, to the other fangs, people say, oh, you know, they're not an ecosystem, right? Netflix, they're just movies, and that's it. And you look at Google and Apple and Amazon, and my goodness, they do so many things and they're gonna take over the world. Netflix is this little thing here. Is that an issue or not? No, it's accurate. I mean, uh, the GAFA companies, you know, are big, broad tech platforms. Um, and the four of them plus Microsoft uh, are formidable. They've got much bigger market caps. They're in multi-business lines. Many of them have ad support and are very uh, data exploiting in that way. And we don't have any of that. You know, we're just simple, uh, extremely great entertainment company. And then, you know, for again, for about 15 bucks a month, you get amazing content. Do your ambitions ever include news and sports? I don't think so. I mean, it's those are very different um, and well covered. And we've got just uh, so much we want to do in entertainment. Um, so we're going to stick on our, our current path for quite a while. I want to ask a little bit about uh, you personally. And of course, well, we share a background, Reed, and we went to the same college uh, at the same time, even a little bit, Bowdoin College. And then, as I said, you were in the Peace Corps, and then you ended up studying software at Stanford. So talk about the mindset that you need to succeed in business. Is it liberal arts and science? I mean, it kind of sounds like Steve Jobs' um, vision a little bit. You know, there's so many different paths um, to business success. Um, I don't think there's any one formula. Um, I've just been incredibly fortunate. So when I came back from the Peace Corps and I needed to get a job, um, I got a job in a computer company serving coffee, okay, in a lab. And it happens, coincidence, to be the very first dot-com ever. In 1986, this was, okay? And then because I was around a lot of internet people, I learned a lot. And then I started following the internet and was part of it. And then in, you know, 10 years later, in 1997, it was clear that the internet was growing and getting faster and would someday be able to do television. And that's what made me differentially confident that, you know, you could do DVD by mail for a couple of years and then evolve into streaming. And again, it was because I had already had 10 years of experience on the internet, seeing it get faster, feeling it. And that was all because of the company I ended up serving coffee in. So there's a lot of randomness in life. What was the company, by the way? Uh, Symbolics.com. Wow, I, I didn't know that one. Um, and then I want to talk about the one, another anecdote in the book where you were um, walking into the offices of Blockbuster 20 years ago, I think, and looking to sell the company with your co-founder. Uh, for $50 million and were rebuffed. Do you regret that? I mean, or do you say, oh my God, thank goodness I didn't do that? Well, now I say, thank God that uh, they didn't want to go ahead. But, you know, at the time they were so formidable. And um, even later when we went public, we were 50 million in revenue and they were 5 billion, so 100 times larger than us. 
So for our first decade, um, it was such a big gorilla over our future. And uh, again, back to the role of luck, um, there was a number of things that made it possible for us to thrive um, and eventually then have the chance to move into streaming. I want to go back and talk about some of these big um, tech companies. Are you concerned about privacy and their scale and the impact on the elections, say, when it comes to Facebook, for instance? You know, we really focus on entertainment and, you know, we're not really in that whole other tech ecosystem. Uh, so what we think about is, you know, what shows do people want? What movies do they want? Um, and then COVID plays a role. The election plays a role. Those things come and go. Um, but again, our, our world is really about, um, you know, data security, keeping each member's data, you know, just at Netflix. We don't import data. We don't share data. We don't sell data. Uh, it's one app that does exactly one thing, entertainment, really well. How come you've never gotten into advertising, Reed? That must. Same thing. I mean, HBO doesn't. We don't. Um, it's great to just be able to focus on our members and not to really think about advertisers, not to think about data and really just to serve our members. And again, we talked about the stock price a little, the memberships ground. You know, our members love somebody who's does one thing extremely well. You mentioned HBO and the CEO of Time Warner refer to your company rather disparagingly. Um, boy, it probably wasn't even that long ago. Uh, and do you ever take satisfaction at you know, surpassing those legacy companies? Well, it was 2012 um, when Jeff Bukas uh, referred to us as the Albanian army not gonna take over the world. Um, and it was super motivating. <clears throat> Everyone was wearing Albanian army flags, you know. Um, so we took on uh, all of that imagery. And I think what happened, he's a very smart guy. Um, I think what happened is he was right 10 years before that the internet was bunk. In other words, he was part of the Time Warner side that said the AOL thing was not a good idea. And, you know, sometimes the lesson that you learned is so searing um, uh, that you overlearn it and you think it's permanent. And eventually the internet was material. Um, so it's a great lesson that I try to apply to myself. Like, am I really sure that just because the internet's continue to get faster and better, will it keep doing so? You know, you, you need to always question these things. Right. We talked about Disney a little bit and Disney plus, which does look like it's going to be a successful enterprise or probably already is with a number of tens of millions of people. So maybe that company is in good shape going forward. The other Hollywood giants, what kind of position are they in right now, Reed? Well, they're trying to figure out how to stream directly, whether that's um, CBS All Access or uh, Peacock. Um, you know, and it's a classic. Um, they've got lots of assets and content. And now they're trying to build their own service like they built cable networks in the past. Um, so many of them will be successful, probably not all, and then some will combine in various ways um, to be able to compete with Disney, HBO Max, Netflix, you know, and then of course there's Amazon also. And um, so when it comes to some of the, the rules, no rules, rules, uh, your book identifies talent and candor as sort of two keys to a productive and innovative workplace. Why those two? 
we really focus on assembling a great group of people who love working together and are super talented, like a professional sports team, to stimulate creativity, to be able to come up with the best ideas, both for the user interface, um, for the service, for the content, in all those ways. Um, we want uh, to have a group of people together that um, are very thoughtful and creative. Right. And does it create a work environment that is too difficult for some people? You know, if you read the book, you definitely hear some of those stories. Netflix is not for everyone. Uh, Netflix is for people who are learning machines. They just love absorbing new ideas and new experiences and are willing to make mistakes to figure things out. And it's that kind of self-motivated learners that do so well at Netflix. When you look at the management concepts you have, there are other companies that are pretty famous for having management conceits, if you will, also. I mean, GE was one that did, not so much anymore. I think Amazon is a company that has a pretty strong culture as well. Maybe Bridgewater, the hedge fund run by Ray Dalio. Do you ever look uh, at those two, for instance, and compare Netflix? I mean, how does it, how does it shape up? You know, it's hard to know on those companies kind of what the reality is. Um, you know, you can certainly read about, you know, what the what the leaders think that it is. Um, so there's always that question. But I, I think we're all innovating. And the great thing then is other organizations get to read about Bridgewater. They get to read about Netflix. They get to read about Amazon and then make their own choices. And in No Rules Rules, we've tried to live the candor that we preach and to be super honest about what's going well, what's still um, under construction. Um, and that, I think, will help other companies as they think through these questions. A few more questions. Um, what about the mix between um, content that you derive from other creators and originals? And Talk about how you got into that and how it's evolved and what the optimal mix is for the business. You know, we care really about what are the options that we have for consumers um, rather than like how and who produces it. Um, so like Lucifer's uh, great show was three seasons on uh, cable TV and then we took it over. Um, now it's on season five for us and doing great. Uh, you is another one that started, in that case, on Hallmark, I think it was. Um, and then, you know, we took it over and, and made it much bigger. And then there's other shows uh, like Stranger Things, um, you know, that we originate right from the beginning or The Crown. Um, so, <clears throat> again, consumers don't really care how we do it. What they care is that we have some of the best series and the best films that anyone's ever produced. I want to ask you a little bit about politics, Reid. You've supported Democrats in the past. I wonder if you're supporting Joe Biden right now and if that's more difficult given today's environment. You know, I keep my personal politics sort of out of the picture for Netflix. Um, uh, so I really uh, think that everybody's trying to figure out what's best for the country and voting in their own way, and we respect that. Um, but yes, I've, I'm a registered Democrat and I've historically, uh, always voted Democrat. Right. And you're 
a co-CEO now. How's that going? I mean, do you like sharing? You have a lot of co's. You're the co-founder, co-CEO, co-author, so you must be pretty good at it. No, partnership can be a great thing when it works well. I think in the book with uh, Aaron and I, the interplay that you see on the pages really makes it better than many books and lively. Um, with Ted and I, we've worked together for more than 20 years. We've been operating as co-CEOs anyway, and this just formalizes that and really hasn't changed anything. So I think you said that you want to stay on. You're in for a decade, I think was the, the phrase that I saw. Which, a decade more. A decade. It's well, already right. been two decades, so a decade more, at decade least. More, right. Well, the last decade, you got named uh, Yahoo Finance's CEO of the decade. So I know you're in for another one trying to get a repeat there. That's got to well, be. How, a how about co-CEOs of the decade to break some new ground? Oh, well, we'll look into that. That's a new category. You probably don't have that much competition because, I mean, this is actually kind of a serious point. It's very difficult to have, be a co-CEO for some people. Well, I think it's not a general solution. It works well when you've got two people that uh, work extremely closely together. Right. And so what do you hope to accomplish for yourself, Reed, and for Netflix over this next decade plus? You know, we'd like to continue to expand around the world um, to be as great in uh, Chile, as great in Vietnam, as great in Japan, you know, as great in Denmark as we are in the United States. Uh, and we've got a long way to go um, on that quest. And then to be able to share content, again, between countries, between cultures, between uh, racial groups. So, um, you know, to increase understanding through entertainment, to really, you know, get experience the joy of the escape, but also to be exposed to more things. And last question, Reed, what about personally in terms of philanthropy or life goals with your family? What's important to you? You know, we're trying to do a lot more philanthropy now. We're, we're blessed with Netflix's great success. Um, and so uh, I work on charter public schools a lot in the United States, like uh, KIPP public schools. Um, and uh, also some African work in terms of you know, sort of my Peace Corps heritage. Uh, so those are two areas, some vaccine, and then recently investing and supporting, donating to um, historically black colleges and universities uh, like Morehouse and Spelman. All right. Reed Hastings, co-founder and co-CEO of Netflix and co-author of a new book, No Rules, Rules. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Andy. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.